0: Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I am your host, Casper.
1: And I am your other host, Becky Grimlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays, because... Wednesdays, as always, are for a podcast. Uh, even though we're... Not recording on Wednesday, but you guys are used to that with us when we have uh, extra special guests as yes. we do today. So
0: We have two very special guests with us today. Uh, we have the director and producer, director slash writer and producer of a new horror film coming out this month on August 21st uh, in the U.S. called The Unfamiliar. If you guys are <laughs> familiar with the trailer that's been going around. Um, It looks like a very, very amazing movie, so we are very excited to have them on. And we'll let you you guys uh, introduce yourselves. Yeah, you guys can go right ahead and introduce yourselves.
2: So, I'm Hank Vitoris. I'm the writer and director of The unfamiliar. Hi, and I'm Llewellyn Krent. I'm the producer of The unfamiliar.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, like we said earlier, thanks, guys, so much for... um, being on our podcast. This is amazing. Uh, being able to look over the, uh, notes and kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff of the film. Um, I've watched the trailer a couple of times already. It looks absolutely amazing. Um, and it has so many different elements in it. Um, you know, ones that have been seen in other horror films, ones that, may not have been, or just have a different twist on them. So uh, thank you again so much for doing this because I am really, really, really excited to see this film.
0: Yeah, we, we both are. I'm looking very forward to
1: the 21st. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful, That's
0: thank, you.
3: thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: So why don't we start off with, uh, what? where did you guys first start in filmmaking? Um, like what got you into the film industry? either one of you can go
2: (laughs) okay
3: okay great so um i i actually started in, in corporate first i first started a degree in um informatics which is business and technology and then i was teaching computers for a while and then i got into corporate immigrated to london from south africa and then at a stage, I sort of pivoted away from that. And I've always wanted to be in the in the film or the entertainment industry. And then luckily, I, I met Hank Pretorius at that sort of crossroad just before I um, uh, finished film school and then said, well, I want to do this for a living and I want to give it everything I got. And then... Fortunately, through my, my wife, actually, I met Hank, uh, and Hank was at that time already quite a prolific filmmaker um, and making waves in the South African film industry, and that was in, yeah, in two, late 2012, and then we opened up Dark Matter Studios in London, and we've been doing what we love since then.
0: So you guys actually opened the Dark Matter, matter Studios together?
2: That's correct. Yeah, yeah it was... You know the thing is, I, I started uh, way way back, and I, my first film I actually made it, it as a 24 year old, and it was a teen comedy, and it was a film called Bachat, and it was about this this uber geek that falls in love with the most popular girl at school, but he really thinks he needs to be a rugby player to get with her, basically, and he really goes for it, and it's, it's it's like you know you know those teen comedies that you cringe to watch now. But at the time, it was fantastic to make it. And so I started with this, and then it turned out to be a trilogy, which was the, the first Afrikaans trilogy in South Africa. And after that, I got this reputation of, oh, he's the teen comedy guy. I said, no, 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 but I also want to do drama. I want to do romantic comedies. I want to do, I want to do horror. And I met Lou Allen at some point after, I think it was my eighth film. I did like eight features, some I directed, some I produced. And we we really kick-started the South African industry, and we we had something really cool going on. But I I wanted to go to London and make films for the world. And I met Lou Allen, and he actually flew all the way to meet with us at our film studio in in South Africa. And he said he, he always wanted to be in the film industry. And he had a he had this thing about him where he was a he was a full business guy. He understood the business side. He also had a lot of respect for the creative. And I just took a chance and I said, "Well, why don't I go to your house and I live on your couch for three for three months and we do a film together and we see where it goes?" Because I always wanted to have a business guy in film um, because it's such a creative industry and we've got so many amazing creatives in it. But sometimes the business acumen lacks. And I've got have got business acumen, but it's not something you can concentrate on while directing and writing and all those things. And that's really like what happened. I went to his house, I stayed on his couch for three months, and we did yeah. one of the most like, popular romantic comedies ever made in South Africa together, which is <laughs> called Leading Lady. And then after today we said, well, now we're a little bored of making films to this for South Africa. We've got to make films for the world. And he dropped this box of horror films on my porch. And it was this amazing box of horror films, and I had the most petrifying experience. I had to watch all of these films. It was terrible watching them. I was so scared. And then I, got, and then I started loving them, and I started seeing the point of horror films, and that it's a search for truth and darkness. And then, and then it was like a code just unfolded in front of me, and that, that's when I started creating The familiar with uh, Jennifer Nicole Stack as a writer. And and we're really 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 proud of, of the, our little first international horror film now. Absolutely.
0: Do you mind me asking what the horror movies were? Because now I'm intrigued.
3: <laughs> there were loads. <laughs> I, I can tell you the ones that scared Hank the most. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, please. Very much so.
1: <laughs> well,
3: well, I I do I do remember I, I remember I actually found the box the other day because I'm I'm stuck in lockdown in South Africa at the moment. And I found the box in the garage again, and it was all the different, it was like all the classics, you know, from, we started from like Halloween, Exorcist, all the way to like the modern stuff, you know, Conjuring, um, you name it, you know, Session 9, everything was there, and we had, um, uh, we started watching them together at that stage, and Hank had an apartment in Johannesburg, and yeah, in the beginning it was, it was entertaining because, you know, we we both got frights, and Hank would... Grab certain things around him, or you know, it was, That's never it was happened. Quite a... <laughs> 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 and then, uh, the, the best was while we were actually uh filming leading lady, and we knew that we were gonna, you know, we had this pipeline of content in our mind, and then we actually went to watch The Conjuring, the, f- the very first one, um, at the cinema. And yeah, that was that was terrifying that, that night. I think we we both, um, if we were honest, we both said our lights on. It was, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, it was pretty <laughs> terrifying. I, I actually had a, a, a moment of prayer
0: at night. Uh, I was supposed to of Christianity, which is bizarre, is, I mean, you know? so, This is, this so is, is fantastic. Friend, yeah. um If it makes you feel any better, the first night I went to see The Conjuring, I went to see it in the theater. And, uh... I ended up being in the fetal position in the theater chair with with my hands covering, you know, my, I'm pretty much covering my eyes, but I'm barely looking outside of my hands. And um, that night when I went to bed, I woke up at 3.06 in the morning, and I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs>
2: It makes me
3: feel a whole lot. Better. Oh, man, I'm so glad I'm not alone. I thought you guys no. were gonna get say, "Oh, what whizzes? That's
0: sort of no, yeah. no." <laughs> it's it's now my favorite all time favorite uh, horror film. But at first, yeah,
1: it, oh, it scared the shit terrible. out of me. So most of That's our creative, yeah. most of our podcast audience knows from from me uh, Becky Gremlin that that movie. Not only did it did it terrify me the first time I saw it. Uh, it also holds a special place for me because my my horror background. And my love of horror came from my mom, and uh, I unfortunately lost my mom about seven years ago. And uh, the last movie that we saw together was *The Conjuring*. So uh, she was she was. It took a lot. My mom though was one that did not scare easily, and that movie terrified her. <laughs> so it's a really it's a happy memory from a very terrifying movie. <laughs>
2: yeah you know, really? that's I mean, a it's a sad but wonderful memory. You know, thank right you. Now. yeah, <laughs> it
1: really is. I to this day it's I watch it every time and it still scares me, but it's a it's a great memory. It's a wonderful memory.
2: No, that's lovely. No, that's lovely. No, it's a great film. I think James Wan is really, uh, you know, he brought cinema back into horror films.
0: Yes, he did. Amen, nice? sir. <laughs> yeah. he's,
3: a, he's, a, he's a phenomenal director, and he's so good at his craft, And and watching him, Hank and I love, you know, watching behind the scenes and just dissecting everything about the horror world and you could just see you know every time he speaks he's so passionate and he, he cares about every single discipline of of the film process and it was it, it's just inspiring to watch I mean, him he's, he's a wonderful filmmaker
0: well that was actually going to be uh another question i had for you guys um what's some of your inspiration for basically good jumping into this movie like what was your your process where you were like, Hey, you know, I kind of want to make a movie about this.
2: Uh, I think there's two sides of that. Uh, answer. And the one side is I can tell you all about the creative, which I, which I will, but there's also a business move. And I, and I don't want it to sound like for this business behind filmmaking, but it's, it's, it's really about there's an audience for a horror and, for, and you can actually make something substantial for a little bit of less money. And you can compete with studio films, and that was something that really attracted us. But of the creator, it's really you know you can't make something you don't love, and you can't make something that you don't indulge in the thematic 100%. Into. And and so from a thematic point of view, I think what what I loved about the story was that it was a mother trying to keep her family safe from an invisible force or invisible enemy, and that idea really pulled me towards uh, the scripture.
0: Okay, I didn't know. I was waiting. I didn't know he was going to say anything. <laughs>
1: um,
0: That's really cool, though, because I love the fact that you started out in like a romantic comedy. Like you started out with comedy and a romantic comedy, and then you went to
1: horror. It reminds me of Jordan Peele because Jordan Peele did the same same exact thing, which was amazing. I was such that's a correct. big fan of Key and Peele. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm a big I'm a big comedy fan. I'm a huge stand up comedy fan. So uh to see them go from Mad TV to Kean Peele to Jordan Peele just jumped right into directing horror I was like oh this is amazing I was like this is and there is a bit of a dichotomy to comedy and horror I think I think if people are fans of both there there's a dichotomy with both it's,
2: it's, I think it's the timing of it you know uh, there's a uh, catharsis and a tragedy and comedy and it's also the, the way your time is scare, you can you always go set up, set up, punchline, or you go set up, set up, set up punchline, or you go set up, set up, set up. There's no punchline. And that's a kind of that's exactly the same with comedy. Or you can go offbeat comedy where you, you hit the beat of the joke, just off the, the actual, you know, it's almost like I always think about it like music. And you listen to a very independent artists and they'll be um, hitting their bridges or, or choruses at a different place where they won't have a chorus. And it's similar to um, making a comedy or independent comedy opposed to a studio comedy. And that kind of translated into the horror film as well, where you had like um, the building of tension, the building of a scare, where to put the jump scare. Sometimes you get the jump scare out. I, I left a lot of jump scares out because I think if you overdo them, then... It uh, they, they, they becomes almost horror comedy
1: in a way. Very true. yes. But I think there's there's quite
3: a similarity between it you know. And I think to, to just to add to that, what you're saying, Hank, what what I love about um, working with Hank on projects is he has this ability to always pay a lot of attention, a lot of care to the characters and make sure that there's always a plot. Because I think, you know, when you're crossing different genres, people mm-hmm. will think, "Oh, well, because the genre is so strong and just the horror element, people will focus on a lot of what the scary is and then forget some of the character building, you know, if that makes sense. And I think that to me is... What what makes good horrors is, is when someone really cares about the characters and cares about the journey and cares about the plot. So that the the, the horror um, translation and the horror elements are there, but that you, you still don't get lost in why people are introduced or why the story is there. And I think taking care of that is is very important across most films, but I think especially in horror, because you know, there are so many tropes in horror and you go through so much. Um, so it's, it's it's a very, very important element to take care of in the story.
0: I couldn't agree more, because I'm more the kind of person where, that's actually one of the reasons why The Conjuring is such an important film to me, because there's a, such a plot in story yeah. and the character development yes. in that, not that I don't love slasher films, don't get me wrong, I do love a good slasher film, but I'm a very yeah. story-driven kind of person, so to hear that, You know, that's how you do it, Hank, the way you do the where you care about your characters, where we're going to fall in love with these characters. We're going to really care about what happens to these characters. It makes a horror movie more relatable and it also gives it more of a. um. What's the word I'm looking for? Like a connection, like you feel like you have a connection to the film.
2: Yes. Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. You, you feel a connection. The, the, the challenge with, with the unfamiliar, however, is that once you've seen it, you'll know you know where this this context comes from. But because it's a mysterious horror, and you leave breadcrumbs and clues all the way through, there was a reason why it chose to involve in some characters and some not. And it, the, that was so challenging because my my natural sort of I have a magnet towards character and, and character-driven uh, narratives. So I really like to go deep into what is these back history, where they're going, what's the goals, what's the obstacles, what's the thematic they're struggling with, what's the ideology, all those things. And we, we had all these character boards, and then when we started doing the plot for The Unfamiliar, because it's, such, it's quite an unusual plot or unusual telling, because you, you see most of the film happening through uh, easy, the lead character's perspective. So because it was such a, a an odd way of telling the story, I had to let go of quite a lot of my darling scenes and a lot a lot of dialogue to almost not reveal character truths. And that to me was was such a difficult thing because I that's why I look at the film now and I'm so proud of it, but it's completely out of my comfort zone. It's like nothing I've ever made. It's um, you know, it's nothing like uh, Luan has ever produced with me. And exactly. we look at it and we like we're very proud of it, but we're curious to see how audiences
1: response You know, it's the first time I really have an idea. You know, one thing that's that's interesting that you say that that's that's kind of a good segue uh, to talk about um, something that really interested me when looking over the production notes and even reading into the the storyline is. Um, and it goes back to what you said about the truth and darkness, Um, mental illness for me is something that is very important, not only personally, but also something that I feel like in horror is stigmatized. Um, I think it can kind of be an easy out at times, especially with what Casper was saying, I love a good slasher, but you know, it's an easy way to explain why Michael Myers did this because he's this, you know what I mean? Like, so I think at times it, it, uh, unfortunately it's, uh, an easy way to explain evil or an easy way to explain, but mental illness is, is completely normal. And it's something that is starting to somewhat be more normalized. And I like that it's starting to be more normalized in horror too, because there can be a good, it, it can make for a good f- flip, I guess I should say. Like it can start off as one thing, but then really lead into another thing that that you're, that I can see in your film. And uh, it reminded me a bit of another film that took on um, mental illness called The Taking of Deborah Logan. And I don't know if either yeah. one of you have seen that. Um, yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It I was, love that I film. Think, uh, we all love that movie. <laughs> was, was Brian Brian Singer? Wasn't was he the producer on it or the the EP? Right. And it, it started out with with where you think the lady has Alzheimer's, exactly. Sort of progressed from that. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Exactly,
1: and that's uh, you know that that movie took on a personal thing for me because I I had a background as a nurse aide with taking care of Alzheimer's and dementia patients, so going into that movie having that. Yeah uh part of it really hit me and then going oh wait no that's not what this is so um also from someone who and i i have no problem sharing this because i have before um it's it's not from uh military but just from trauma i myself have ptsd so i thought it was really interesting to take a film about someone who has ptsd And then take it from that advantage to being reintroduced to your family. And then you start envisioning things. And not only are you dealing with the capacity of a mental illness, but that possibly something very sinister in a paranormal realm is happening with you and your family. And not only are you combating that within yourself, you're combating that as a mother with your family. So I had such a deep connection reading into. that part of your film and then uh even going even further in into it where you've got all these kind of creatures maybe not maybe so towards towards the progression of the film but um can i ask what inspiration that you guys took from or hank i guess specifically since you wrote the film um in regards to ptsd or mental illness if that's something that uh, you have a personal experience with, or if that's just something that you took as inspiration for the film, I'm—I was just really curious. It,
2: It's—it it was actually the idea of the PTSD. Uh, what inspired me was hang, I was hanging around with a bunch of uh, Marines in Los Angeles, and they started talking about the war in Afghanistan. And at first, they, they were quite guarded about it, and they told me a little bit about it, and we were just hanging out as friends. And as I got closer to them, I start, started seeing that they won't talk about PTSD. They won't they won't tell me all the nasty stories, or they won't tell me the effect or the scars that they hold there. And that to me was interesting because I, I'm someone that, I, if I'm your friend, I want to discuss everything. Not not like in a in a gossip kind of way, but like I, I don't mind having intimate conversations and really getting to know someone. I think that's part of being a friend. And they stopped uh, when we discussed that, that, that those parts. And then actually Jennifer Nicole Stack did an interview with them uh, where she hammered on it until they revealed that it's not something they talk about. It's not something that, that they don't want to seem vulnerable. They don't want to, uh, they, they, they kind of don't want it part of their makeup. And that to me was was awful because uh, as uh, as you rightly said, there's, there's nothing to be ashamed of. It should be an open life. It should be discussed and it should be an adult and, and actually there are solutions. You know, you can handle, there's incredible ways to, to handle PTSD. And so the character coming from back from War, thinking she's got PTSD, I played to a way that she would hide it from her husband or didn't want it and it took a long time to actually think maybe well maybe it is PTSD so in that expect- uh, in, to, to, the, to that extent I did explore it but the bridge between PTSD and wine mythology is something that you'll have to watch the, the film for um, because it, it, the film does take horror tropes and uses horror tropes to guide you or to sometimes misguide you in the plant structure so it, it might not be exactly what you imagine in your head, not that I'm saying you're imagining something in your head, but like if you had a preconceived idea of how the film would play out, it might surprise you and go out differently. Or, um, you know, that's kind of what the, I hope the plot does uh, and how the plot was designed. Out.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I love that. I love that. To me, a movie, going into a movie, thinking that, you know, one thing about it and then it just, Flips on its head into something else is is always a a favorite of mine, and I think that was something for me that really attracted me to this film. So that's oh yeah, I love going in with a haughty spirit, like
0: "Mm, I know what's gonna happen, I know what's going on, and then like into the movie, I'm like, oh
1: shit, I'm so wrong, like I was wrong (laughs) all the way around. Um, that's interesting that you said that perspective too, of being able to talk to someone that came back from war. Uh, my dad is, uh, was, uh, in the Vietnam war and he's a Vietnam war veteran and it's, he's, uh, well into his seventies, um, but really healthy and, you know, getting along great. But it's interesting because him and I didn't discuss, uh, PTSD much at all. I mean, my dad didn't, didn't talk about Vietnam. Didn't didn't talk about it. Wouldn't talk about it with people. Like, it's it's interesting that you say that. Like, even for the short time that he was there, but that he it was years later when I basically opened up to him about my past trauma that he started to discuss wow. that that he has PTSD from Vietnam. That he has these reoccurring nightmares that he's had for the last. I mean, my dad was there in 1968, so the same reoccurring nightmare since 1968 so that was really interesting that like my path to opening up about my trauma to him made him able to open up his trauma that he had from from war and stories that he was never able to tell ta- to tell me that he was finally able to open up and uh tell me about so that is really interesting that you when you look at ptsd from the perspective of war and especially when you're meant to it it at the time what and even now it can be seen as a sign of weakness, unfortunately, especially if you're in the military or in the navy or any type of service where you're meant to uphold the highest, you know, you're you're strong. You don't you don't let things like that affect you. And that's that's for you know, I mean of course it's gonna affect you. If you're if you're human, it's going to affect you. We're not machines. So
2: Exactly. You know, and it's it's so cool that you say that because it's not only like PTSD comes in many forms. Yes. You can have PTSD from a bad bad breakup and not trust people anymore. Yes. Or like a, you know, <laughs> so there's so many things that can give you a form of PTSD, and that's kind of something I discovered later on when I looked into EDMR, which is a treatment um, of PTSD and yes. other yeah, um, and it's very effective. Like apparently, like I've looked into it, and it's quite effective, and it's amazing what results they get. And there's so many forms of it. You know, you could have an abusive father and you could have PTSD or whatever the case is. And, yeah. and so I think I think like, like it's something that, that as a society, if we can get over the fact that PTSD is something you should hide and you can be vulnerable about it and you can be open about it. And also to say to the Marines or the veterans, I mean, it's incredible what you're, uh, you know, I think that was a very intense war uh, that, that your father was on. I actually watched a documentary the other day about it. And I, and I think for him to be able to open up, I think that's so incredible that, that you, they had that opportunity because this, and again, you did it by talking about your own PTSD and him discovering that it's relevant for you as well. And it's, you know, he does, you can drop his card. And I think that's great. Thank yeah. you.
1: That's brilliant yeah I'm I'm hoping my dad is a little iffy about horror films so I'm hoping that if I tell him that this is part of your film that I might be able to goad him to watch it He's just gonna leery eye you. He's gonna be like, he's just gonna give me the, that 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 face, and I'm gonna be like, Dad, just give it a shot. Just give it just just give it a chance. Just, just give it a chance, please. I'm it's just, like when please. people walk
0: up to me and they're like, oh, this this horror TV. film. Should I watch this? Is it scary? And I'm like, why are you asking me if it's scary? I've been scared by three out of thousands of horror films I've seen.
1: <laughs> Um, So without giving a lot, you know, I kind of wanted to get more into the creative process of this film. And I don't, you know, of course, I don't want to give anything away because, um, you know, we want everybody to see it. We're excited about seeing it. But um, one thing that's always, I've always found interesting with filming, especially with horror films, um, and even more importantly with horror films that have creature effects, is that there are so many different components uh, with casting, with, uh, creature designs with just a a plethora of, of different things. Um, how much of that process did both of you have, um, I guess, like, did everybody kind of work together more so on kind of bringing everything together? And I think I mean more so in the fact of there, there's some creature effects later on in the film. And I know that when you have an idea in your head, you know, sometimes it can be hard to give it to somebody else and have that come to fruition. So, like, how much did, did you guys, do both of you have within all of that process?
2: I, I think before we answer that, I, maybe, Luan, do you want to talk about what, what you did as a producer? And I'll, I'll say what I do
1: as a director. And yeah, I was, I was actually... Yeah, yeah that's perfect. that would be great. I, think, I mean, the one good thing to understand,
3: that's something that Hank and I are extremely proud of, is that when we started the company, we had a very, very clear vision and set out exactly what we wanted to do. And what I mean by that is, you know, you'll get a lot of people that are trying to do each other's jobs or someone that wants to do both things. And I think what's very clear with myself and Hank is that we're both very decisive. We're very clear about where we fit into the process and we have extreme respect for each other and also an an incredible amount of trust. I think anyone who goes into any form of business partnership, you must understand that there's no difference between trusting your business partner than trusting your best friend or your wife or someone that's important to you. So what we did from the start was when we started the company was it was very clear on i i produce on on the films i look after the logistics and the finance hank looks after the creative he looks after development but even though um i look after the producing and logistics side of it hank can at any time you know give commentary tell me what he thinks or give feedback but ultimately at the end i, I need to make a call on what it is and the same with hank like i have a lot of respect and i'm understand the creative process, but obviously that's Hank's strong point of speciality. But we both understand both sides of it. And and for me, it's very rare to work with a, a creative such as Hank that also understands and respects the business side. And I think Hank has that from my side as well, because I have a lot of respect for the creative as well. So because of that, we both know how far we can go with those elements, and we both know how far we can push with it. So that's made for an incredible business partnership and a, and a wonderful adventure, because what we always have at the forefront of everything is that the film must win. So it's never personal. Like if we need to do something on the film or something is, is taken away or something is important, we go, okay, not um, how what's best for me, what's best for you. We go, what's best for the film and how are we going to fix this? Because if the film wins, we win and everybody that's involved in the process wins. So I think, you know, before Hank goes into into his side, I obviously sit with Hank and we look at everything holistically sort of from the top down we always reverse engineer it we go okay great we want to make a film um we're going to go and raise money we're going to go develop the script we're going to do all of that in our in our wheelhouse but let's first agree to what we want to do are we both passionate about it do we both believe in it is it both something you really want to do is there an audience for it and is the company going to grow out of it and is it going to push the storytelling for us as well and once you take all those things off And you've sort of you know signed that written agreement with each other as business partners going okay here we go then it's very easy because we divide and conquer i know what my tasks are hank knows his head tasks are and because we're so strong in that relationship it's very easy for a crew to work with us for investors to work with us because they can see there's strong unity from the front and how they do things so for the unfamiliar obviously i have a lot of respect for the genre uh, I think it's it's a massive genre. It's actually a very intelligent genre and the community impresses us tremendously. And Hank's always wanted to, do, um, you know, indulge in the creative of this as well. And also for both of us, we wanted to get that, International footprint and and genre wise, horror is a massive international you know feature and it, and it features all over. It. It's it's one of the genres with the most sequels, prequels, remakes, crossovers. It's it's an incredible space to be in. Um, and then yeah, we we said okay, well let's develop it. And then Hank went and focused on the creative, got the teams together, you know, wrote with with Jennifer Nicole Stang. and I went on the finance side and started getting you know the, the investment together, getting the production together, and then. Obviously, a very important part is the distribution, which um, Hank and I—I I, I do the distribution, but again, we do it together because we're both equally passionate about marketing the film as much as we are about making the film. So, um, yeah, that's that's the thing from my side, but Hank can tell you his magic that he does on the creative side as well.
2: Yeah, so it's it's like you ask, uh, how do we work together to do these creature designs and production designs, all those things, and. And it's interesting because we I have a creative control over everything I do, and we analyze financial control over everything we do. So it's a it's a very interesting balance. So you would go, okay, we want to design these creatures, and I would ask him how much money do we have for these creatures? And basically, what it comes down to is how important are they for the script and how important and how much good is because you can solve most problems with money, but it's not always the right way to solve. It. The, the right way yes. to solve something is to is to know what a creature means in your form. what's the thematic of this creature? what is he adding to the form and what is and, and ironically, I think that in horror forms uh, the power of the imagination is much stronger than creatures. So or to showing creatures. but we still had them because we wanted to show elements of them and they were decide with the utmost detail. and I did that with a, a guy called Robert Drake, which is a phenomenal. Uh, creature designer and he built these creatures and we actually had a a concept artist that we worked with israel holzhausen and he he drew all these beautiful creatures and he went to study it and most of the work that went into the the film happened before the shoot because that's how you save money it's like that's how you get to live out your creative in a very creative way but also not to go over budget when when you actually go onto the shoot. So I, I I believe in a an extremely extremely uh, detailed pre-production, and that's where most of the magic happened. And any any uh, Jennifer Nicole Stang, the writer, actually contributed quite a lot as well. She she worked with uh, him even on the script phase and saying uh, for the concept artists and saying well, we, we're thinking this kind of scares, how can you draw this for us? Yeah. To make sure that it works in terms of suspense and, to mer- uh, and in terms of jump scares or whatever we wanted to, to incorporate. Um, and then, obviously, the sound design elements afterwards is incredibly difficult to to figure out and to find a unique sound for all the creatures. We had an incredible voice artists coming along with us. Um, uh, I think Alan at some point said the Kaimoni demon he, he hates the sound of a distressed parrot, uh, and I said, "Oh, that's brilliant!" So we we brought in a distressed uh, parrot, parrot into the Kaimoni, which mm-hmm. is a, a wine demon sound, and um, we and I I I can't stand like high pitched giggling. I think that's the scariest <laughs> thing in the world. And so <laughs> so we incorporated high pitched giggling into the magina soundscape, you know, and and all these kind of things and then obviously the the score um, Walter Mier, he he was writing score files, he came in he's one of the most talented guys and he he ordered all these Hawaiian instruments um, from Hawaii and then he, he made these incredible had sounds, and then he, he used this. And I can't, I can't. Have, I don't know what the word is, but it's like a synthesizer or something. And he, and he put all these modulations, and I don't know. He's, he's he's got words for everything, but it's a very complicated mm-hmm. process that he took the wine instruments through this uh, mechanical process and actually made these incredibly unique sounds uh, that, that form part of the soundscape. Yeah.
1: That's amazing that that you when you mentioned that about all of the different components that go into the film and especially about the less is more when it comes to creatures. I mean, two of the most, you know, famous horror films of all time where less is more was so prevalent was Jaws and Alien. I mean, you you exactly. you, you never you very rarely yeah. you didn't see the alien much at all till the end and it worked brilliantly you barely saw the shark at all till the end and it worked brilliantly so i mean that i i'm all in favor for that i i think that it leads so much into the suspense it really keeps you like this suspense in a film, even even in a thriller or in a horror, to me can just leave you. It's a tenseness. I mean, you feel it. Your whole body feels it. I mean, it just you. I, I think that can be the that to me is some of the best scares. That's why I appreciate that you said that there weren't a lot of jump scares because that can get hokey. It's that that yeah. that tension with the suspense that I feel like is the scariest because your whole. It's not only mental; it manifests itself physically. Your your whole entire body feels it. Um, well, two things that I want to say. First of all, that right there, my the one
0: thing I hate so much about certain films is when you think a jump is coming. Oh, and it and then it doesn't, and then it does. Yeah, like it. It does. Like you're fine. You're like taking a breather, yeah. and you're fine. And all of a sudden, it happens. When you're vulnerable and not yeah. expecting it, and I you shit your pants. That vulnerability. <laughs> that vulnerability. Because there's a movie called The Banshee Chapter that did that brilliantly. There was a part where the suspense was building, and it was building, and then nothing happened. And then me and my friend who were watching it just were like, oh, okay. And then it happened. And we both screamed. Mind you, I live in an apartment. and we both screamed our heads off my roommate comes running in what's going on is everyone okay and um lovely neighbors i was like oh uh but another thing i was gonna say was um two films that i thought of that were super because you had brought this up earlier super low budget with the less is more paranormal activity and blair witch project both Come one on. was fifteen thousand, and the other one was like sixty, fifty, or sixty thousand. Low budget. You never saw the hour. creature; yeah. your mind yeah. created it. And that movie made five million dollars, like its opening, like time. We so, yeah.
3: oh yeah, they they went on to make you know both I think close to just over two hundred million dollars, and and it's phenomenal. You know, Hank and I were very fortunate because uh, we both got to have lunch with uh, Pelly before we actually made uh this horror and met him and chatted with him and it was such a wonderful experience and hank also met the producer of um language project called robin uh, robin cowie in in the state so we really try to do as much homework and get as much experience before we go into it and yeah we were very fortunate in in that process and and less is more because it also shows that you respect the audience's intelligence and you allow them to sometimes fill the gaps for you and I find that when there are too many monsters and not, not that there's anything wrong with it but when there's a lot of monsters and the monsters feature so much they actually become a character and you become less afraid of them because you're like oh it's the monster again and like, I can know what he looks like now and when it's so suggestive and you see so little and I think another film that really did it for me was uh rec. I think the first yep. rec, rec where like you see nothing until like the last minute and then what you see like you know gives you nightmares for a week so um yeah i I couldn't agree more and and i'm glad that you guys like that process as well
1: i just saw wreck for the first time with my husband i unfortunately saw the american version years ago and it's quarantine terrible it's terrible The, the, the american version's not very good quarantine yeah um most American versions aren't foreign very, films aren't, aren't very, very good, good but uh, <laughs> that goes without saying
0: um,
1: my uh we had done a um, a podcast episode with another podcast called behind the screams about our favorite found footage film and that happened to be brought up and I was like why well, I have to see this and my husband and I watched it and he loves creatures he he actually usually he likes to see them more often but he liked the fact that they waited till the very end because he's like I mean, when that holy shit factor came in to when you finally saw it, I mean, it yeah. was literally holy shit, you know, what, what the fuck is that? Yeah. I think I audibly said, what the fuck is that? The entire rest of the The movie. entire film I was, like, was what a the what the, the fuck, fuck is that? Is that. Yeah. It
0: was...
1: <laughs> Hopefully we do this with your film. Um, oh, I
0: can't, I can't wait. Like they got me, y'all got me hype right now. I'm like, can I see it tomorrow? <laughs>
1: right now, like immediately, um, how much that's, so going into, I think you guys kind of, kind of sort of already answered this question, but, um, you know, we, we did a podcast a couple weeks back about horror films that we, we kind of compiled of, uh, eight horror films that started off really great, but then the endings were like, oh man, you know, like they kind of, you know, either drizzled off or didn't have much of an ending, or the ending just didn't make any sense. And um, there was one movie in particular which I'm I'm not going to name now, but if people listen to it, they'll know which movie it is. But that uh, after the movie came out, the director was very adamant and almost in a way of saying like, we don't really care what the audience thought. Like this is this is how we wrote it. So um, how much of that do you guys does does, I feel like the audience is everything. I mean, that makes or breaks your film. If the audience doesn't like it, then your film doesn't make it. So how much of that is important to you guys? I know you kind of already answered that, but is I, is is that the the whole aspect of going into this, is that you want to make the, the audience happy?
2: That's very important for us. Yeah, I, I think that as a director, um, there's, there's two caps that you have to wear all the time. And... The, the, the one cap is you've got to do something that's original and that the audience haven't seen quite like that before and that's where you need to be creative and you need to have some sort of edge or creative um, intention and then the other way because the, the one thing you can't do is you can't go oh the audience is like that form so I'll just make something similar you know you have to be original you thinking and I think the other the, the other thing I, I really love look into is that I am, this, I am the eyes of the audience when I make the film. I am watching it as I make it and I'm trying to imagine myself as like not being biased and just looking at it objectively and thinking is the audience going to get this? Is it going to be in line with the contract we signed in the beginning of the film, I think, of like, okay, I'm taking you on this journey. Are you still following me? You know where I'm going or are you interested in knowing what's going to happen in the end. And it's such a difficult thing to answer because I obsess about it. I I obsess about if I gave the audience a good enough film or interesting enough film to watch. And I think that's my job, you know. Um, And I've always been obsessive about it and respectful towards the audience. But at the same time, the, the unfamiliar only makes sense if you pay attention. It's one of those films that uh, we got a crit back the other day that um, watched the film and he, he sent a, a pre-crit before uh, uh, to us. And I read the crit, and the last part of the crit, it came out that he didn't understand the end. And <laughs> therefore, like, minute 50 or minute 40 was a bit lost. And I was like, wow, wow, he doesn't understand it. Doesn't it mean the audience not going to understand it. Uh, did I put enough um, you know, exposition in it? And then I was like, oh, and then I obsess about it. And then I'm like, no, it's just one guy not getting the end. That's his right. It's fine if you write a code like that. I'm, I'm respectful towards anyone's opinion. But I think the majority will get it. Because it's there. It's the information is there to get it. So to say that's something that really like gets to me at the moment. And it's sleepless nights kind of get to me. You know? So, yeah, I, I have a lot of respect for God. I out of
0: If it makes you feel any better. <laughs> so... When me and Becky watch movies, we don't watch movies like most people watch movies. No. <laughs> we watch movies for the underlying, metaphoric, deeper meaning. Than, and I mean, not every horror film has that. And, you know, we, we know. Sometimes I look for it in the horror films that don't have it. And I'm like, what am I missing? And I'm not missing anything. <laughs> like, it just didn't have it. Right. But um, one of the biggest... It's so, it's so refreshing to hear that because... One
3: thing Hank and I love doing, I mean, even though we're in the business, we love watching movies together. Like to take a break, we'll go watch a movie. Yep. And then afterwards, we'll, we'll also like walk out. And even if someone goes, oh, that movie's terrible, or it's two out of ten, whatever, we're like, no, but we wanted to see it because we were intrigued by it. We <laughs> listen to someone else. And I don't want someone to influence my opinion. And then we'd always go in, and it's so refreshing together because we would walk out and go, oh, that's interesting. That made me feel like this. Why did it do this? And if it's really good, I'll tell him. I saw it saying, "Let's go watch it," and you'll go. Don't you want to watch it again? No, 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 because you're going to see the subtext. You're going to see the underlying. And he does the same with me. So what you're <laughs> just saying now is, uh, yes, I, I wish, I wish everyone thought they were, but it's refreshing to hear that.
0: Yeah, one of the probably the biggest example is Midsummer. Like we we yeah, went to well, see Midsummer yeah, together. Midsum Thank you. Midsummer is fucking <laughs> I have a I f- have a fucking hand tattoo of Midsummer. I like, have a I have a Midsummer tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> like we went to see that, that movie was, and that towards towards the end oh, of the amazing. movie the guy sitting next to us was so uncomfortable and we're sitting there with a smile on our face and we're crying with her at the end and we're smiling <laughs> and I was just like this helped me get over a past abusive relationship in a way that nothing else has. Same. Yeah, <laughs> it <laughs> no, was quite something.
3: Did we watch it? Yeah, that, it was yeah, intense. It, but, yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> it was
1: intense. I had to go home and watch Wedding Crashes just to get it all done. Yes! And, you know, <laughs> counterbalance all the things. things. I was like, whoa, oh, it's hectic. That's so funny you say that because it was. Now, I, I understand how men could have a different perspective of the film, but, right. you know, my, my husband watched it. And he loved it because he understood what the way that I watched it very much in the same way that Casper watched it. That I, I, I was, you know, it was, it's a, it's a brilliant example of gaslighting. I mean, she's treated terribly in this relationship with all the trauma that she's been through. And then she's got to deal with this asshole. I mean, it's like, that's not every way to handle a relationship is burn him (laughs) up in a bear costume in a building with a weird cult. But I mean, you know, it worked. (laughs) And I mean, sometimes it the whole representation
0: you know, of the burning. Cause it, it you just, know, when you break up with someone, most of the time you burn their
1: shit. It's it's the <laughs> Phoenix rising from the ashes. It's the, it's the whole thing. It's the metaphors. It's everything we were talking about very much in, in a big yeah. component of mine and Casper's friendship is that when we watch films, we look for the underlying meaning. And there have been movies that I have, that I have walked out of where I have been deeply emotional one one film recently that i just kind of wanted to shout out that's just came out it's called relic that i just watched that i'm really afraid that some people are not going to see the deep underlying meaning of that film because i sobbed at the end of that film i did not realize it was going to hit me as as much as it did i i saw the underlying i saw the underlying (laughs) meaning in the film it really hit it, it hit me and I, uh, I love that, Hank, you keep pushing the fact that you want people to pay attention to that with this, with the unfamiliar, mm-hmm. because there may be people Sorry. like that one critic that may go, oh, I didn't get it. And it's like, yeah, because maybe you didn't pay attention. <laughs> you know, I mean, it could have been something that yeah, exactly. simple is that you just exactly. didn't pay attention. You know, if you,
2: uh, I, I do this thing and I, I've, I've noticed it in my last couple of films where I leave exposition out. Uh, I, I write it and then I leave it out because I think the audience to now, if I tell you one plus what is six, you would know it's five. I don't have to tell you one plus uh, five is six. And so I'll leave five out. Sometimes I'll leave one out. You know, it's a, and I, I, and that's what I did in Unfamiliar because it's a horror mystery. I left out so many uh, clues, the next three clues to follow the story and then I did put, the, put them in, but I put them in an unconventional ways so or very quickly, and that's what I'm stressed about. Because like, I hope I wasn't too clever about this. You know? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, as, a, as a storyteller, you, I, I never want to be a pseudo intellectual. You know, I never want to be seen as a director that sits there with my pipe and I'm smoking, and um, I'm telling you how you should interpret my work. But at the same, I want to give you a fresh experience and something original. Yeah. You know, so. It's such, a, it's such a weird, odd balance when you're making something a little bit out of your comfort zone, and you're going, oh, well, well let's see. Let's see. The first crit got it. The second uh, the second crit you sent it, they didn't get it. Let's see what the third one says, you know? So, so yeah, we, we're waiting.
0: You have no idea how happy you make me, and I know Becky can say this too, how happy you make us by saying you want to be original. Ugh. Let me tell you something.
1: Especially for horror <laughs> fans. Horror <laughs> fans... Deep Stop horror fans, remaking shit. Yeah, deep <laughs> deep true horror fans want original horror movies. They do. They they really do. And that that can be a that can be kind of a weird thing with with, and I, I know that that's something with filmmakers that's difficult because critics can say one thing. There's there's times where critics can say one thing and fans can say something totally different. So that that can be a a, a, a stressor, too. Because I know there's films that I've seen, and not just yeah. horror films, that I thought were absolute garbage. And critics will yeah. go, oh, my God, that's yep. the greatest film. And I'm like... I'm like, I don't think we watched the same movie. (laughs) Right. Clearly we watched, maybe you got a different cut of the movie than I did, because that is not the way I saw that film (laughs) at all. So, I mean, that that goes without saying. Um, One last question I did want to ask back to uh, going a little bit into the... Hawaiian mythology in the film, this was fascinating to me because Mm -hmm. um, I've never been to Hawaii. I've always wanted to go. Um, I have a Tahitian tattoo that was done by uh, someone who uh, lived in Hawaii and studied that type of work. And so it's always been a culture that I've been deeply fascinated with. Um, How did that come into play with this film? Was that something that you had previously researched, had been to Hawaii before, or just something that attracted to you that you just, or something that you had been holding on to that you're like, man, if I ever get a chance to make a horror film, like I want to put this in it.
2: I, I honestly uh, have to give credit to Jennifer Nicole, staying the co-writer on that on that point. Um, she read all these thick Hawaiian books and she actually went to Hawaii and she discovered this mythology and also told me these stories about a Kahuna uh, and a Magina,
1: and it's this mythical world that they keep from tourists. And I was fascinated by it. And then we said, we'll write a, a film together. And I, I was
2: hanging around with the Marines in LA at that time. And I said, oh, why, why can't it be a, a US Marine at that stage, coming back from war, thinking he's got PTSD? And she said, and then we push it into a y mythology. we do this, we do that and it and the idea came there and and then it was a very organic process how that unfolded and we brought in all these authentic hawaiian tales or mythology
1: i can't wait to see how that plays out personally because i can't wait for this movie man uh, yeah we can't wait for this movie period but i can't wait to see how that part of it plays out because that was something that i thought was so interesting when you look at Hawaii, it's heavily, I mean, it's, it's the tour, it's a big tourist capital. It's where everybody, you know, it's the beaches, it's the beauty, it's the, it's Polynesian, the flowers, the water, the, you know, so that's the appeal to it. But, you know, all of that underlying mysticism within their culture, I mean, okay, you know, they are one of, they are a U.S. state, but I've always looked at them. I mean, they're, they're not, they're, they're not though, you know, no. they're, they're far removed from us yep. and their, their, their cultures yep. are so beautiful and so deeply ingrained within their islands. And I absolutely cannot wait to hear about this underlying mythology and, and to just, it'll, I think it, I think and I, what my hope is, cause what it's definitely going to do for me, cause I'm, I'm a history buff. I love to research things. I, I mean, I will I will research nice. things to death. I will get, no, you I will guys get don't into understand a topic.
0: No, you Who guys don't, really don't. You guys don't understand. I will, I
1: will delve into a topic and literally have a master's degree in it by the time I'm done. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm one of those people. So it's kind of cool that she does that though, because then I get all the information. <laughs> well, it's, it's helped with podcast <laughs> topics too in the past because yeah, well, I'm a well full you, of if useless have knowledge. An interest in that, uh,
2: prior to the fall, you can go look at, the unfamiliar movie, the unfamiliar movie.com. And there's a section called the law and the law will give you a breakdown of the wine mythology. And it also gives you um, some sounds that we use in the film, but also the creatures. So there's a magina, a night marcher, a kuhuna, a transference ritual, and it will it will give you like a, almost an overview of how the film and and there's not real spoilers in it. It does say spoiler alert, but there's no real big spoilers in it. It's more of a backdrop to decode the, the, the story. But again, the, the story is not really about the wine mythology. It's it's thematically, uh, of course, about the mother trying to keep her family safe. So it does delve into it, but it's a bridge between um, PTSD and, and wine mythology. Yeah.
1: And I, I can't, for all of those components, I am just absolutely thrilled to see this movie. For I everything not he waited. said, original,
0: like everything you've been saying, you want to be original, you pay attention to your characters, you you literally sound like James Wan. If I'm being honest with you, the way you take care of your movies, the way you want to be original, the way you take care of your actors, your characters, you you sound like you care about your films the way that he does. And that, to me, because he's one of my favorite directors,
1: I'm like, listen. Oh, wow. James Wan, That's if you ever listen to this. <laughs> J- listen, James Wan. <laughs> if that ever happens. But, like, I'm
0: being serious, though, because, like, just the way you described him, you describe yourself. From what you have been telling us, you just described yourself. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, well, I hope I hope that the content translates to
2: that as well. Um, and I and I and thank you very much for, for having us. We, we really really yeah. appreciate the, the time. And um, yeah, we're very excited to know what what you guys think. So please please let us know what you thought after you watched it. Oh we, no,
3: absolutely.
0: Yeah, we'll. You know, we'll probably watch and, it together we, too. We
3: love we love how our, it's just so nice <laughs> to speak to people who really love what they do. And even like, you know, when we were seeing your Twitter and the way you guys interact, you just love what you do. And there's nothing better than speaking to people who are so authentic. So it's it's really been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. Oh, we guys. appreciate that. <laughs> uh, you know, this is a passion project for both of us. We've loved horror our entire lives. And this podcast means everything to us. So we thank you guys uh, for doing this, for being on. We can't wait for our audience to see the film. We can't wait to see the film Um, if you guys want to go ahead at this point and plug, uh, you know, of course the website again, your social medias, when the film is coming out, please, please do.
2: Yeah, you want to go ahead, Donna?
3: Yeah, sure. So like Hank said, the, the website that we're really proud of, um, which explores both the law and the film itself is theunfamiliarmovie.com. Um, and then all the handles for Twitter, Instagram, um, you know, Facebook, uh, everywhere you want to find is is called unfamiliar movie. So that's the the handle for all of it. And then of course we are releasing and very proud to release in North America on the 21st of August, and then following that on the 11th of September in the UK, and thereafter Halloween in South Africa. So it's a territory after territory, but um, we're very excited that the US is our first territory that we're releasing in.
0: I do have one question for you. Where will it be releasing? Like, is it VOD? Is it a certain, um, like, how is it released? Streaming platform. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, So we had a theatrical deal, but unfortunately, at the moment, the theater is like all the big cities. We're not sure if we can sign it. So we're going Prime uh, Video, so VOD, uh, direct TV as well. And then we're waiting to hear if we're doing drive-ins. So we might be driving, but we don't want to commit to it yet.
1: Yeah, we have some drive-ins local around us and mm-hmm. it's kind of seeing a resurgence with everything going on. <laughs> yeah. So this has been, hopefully that would come to fruition. That would be really cool, but that's awesome that it'll be available on Prime and and VOD. We'll definitely be streaming it ourselves. Um, thanks again, guys, so much for doing this. We greatly appreciate it. Um, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for what you do and uh thanks
0: for just being awesome yeah. guys you and guys for are for really awesome. nice you guys are really cool <laughs> to talk awesome. to you guys are really cool to talk to it's nice to share that deep love of horror films you know like you had just said it was refreshing to hear that we watch them like that it's refreshing for us to hear too <laughs> that there's filmmakers making original filmmakers films. are that making original, so original films fun. and so film and filmmakers actually watch films deeply like we do so yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, we um, we super appreciate it. We hope to uh, we hope to maybe do this again sometime, and uh, we will definitely let you know how we feel about the film. Thank you so much.
3: fantastic. Can't wait. And thanks a lot for your time and making the effort. We really appreciate it.
0: Of course, we we appreciate it too. <laughs> we appreciate you guys. Thank you again.
3: <laughs> Thank you so much. Take
0: care. All right, guys. So that was our interview with. Um, Llewellyn and Hank and they were both super fucking awesome and we're... I, I, I'm not even going to lie. I'm so excited for this movie. Like, I was excited before but now I'm like, is it the
1: 21st yet? Oh my gosh. I know. So this, we will be... uh, This will be coming out on the 12th. Mm-hmm. So you guys will be listening to this on the 12th. Yeah. So
0: next week Dangerous is a through. big one. Um. In three days from when you're listening to this, we are going to Waverly Hills for a ghost, an overnight ghost tour. And next week is going to be our episode all about what our experience is. Kind of like how we did uh, the Reformatory, where we kind of talked about it and shared our experiences. We've already talked about Waverly pretty in depth, so but we're going to dedicate a whole episode as to what we happened to us. Because I honestly have a
1: feeling it's going to be a lot. Um, that's just how I feel about it. So yeah, if you guys want to go, uh, so interestingly enough, so if you guys haven't gone back to listen to that episode yet, it was our April 17th episode. It was the episode right after our Jordan Peele episode. Um, So if you guys want to go back and listen to that one to kind of get a backstory about Waverly Hills, of course, it was a famous tuberculosis sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky, and now it's one of the most haunted locations in America. So we are super thrilled to go and we are going to be bringing you all of our experiences. um, And hopefully we have some. I really feel like it's going to be a lot. Pretty sure Personally, I think it's going to be a lot. Um, just gonna walk up in there like, "Yo, ghost, what's up? It's your boy." Like, <coughs> I'm sorry. Like, what up? I got a big. Cop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they're all gonna be like, "Yeah, no, we're not. No, honest. no, we're no." We thought about it, and then you were like, "What up? I got a big cop. <laughs>
1: And then um, we were like,
0: "No." <laughs> you know, guys, we're gonna stay away from them. We're gonna stay away from far, them far away. So, guys, a word from our small sayer
1: calm your body down so guys uh by the time this will be up um you guys will have already seen on the website and on the social medias that we've got uh some really awesome tattoo aftercare cream um that's not only gonna be great for right after you get a tattoo, but it's really geared more towards the long lasting elements of tattoos. You know, tattoos will fade over time, especially with color, sun damage. Sun damage is the worst with tattoos and you completely take it for granted and it will fade them out. This is gonna be a cream that's gonna be great to help with that. So grab it over on the Etsy shop. The link is in the bio on the Instagram page, which is, which is at @cyorbd um and again guys appreciate the support uh everything else is available on there your bath bombs um and then i know another thing that everybody will be looking forward to because this was a big 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 sailor last year i am going to release the pumpkin spice bath bombs early this year yeah she is so they're going (laughs) to come out next week so they're going to be the third third week in august instead of the last week in august so uh That'll be available next week. So uh, yeah, just keep checking back and thanks again for the support.
0: Calm your body down. Okay, guys, if you're interested in following us on any social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Don't Fuck With The Original, make sure you spell it out with the apostrophe or you will not find us. If you have any questions, concerns, or want to say hey, please feel free to email us at dfwto8493 at gmail.com. Also, if you would like to um know when we put out new episodes every week, follow us or subscribe to us on Spotify, Podbean, CastBox Player, CastBox Player, CastBox, Podcast Player, and Podcast Addicts. You know what it is. You know. You've heard this like 75 times now. So. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> All right, guys. We love you so much. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check out The Unfamiliar on the 21st. It is coming out on, uh, they said Prime, and I believe he said VOD. Um, He did talk a little bit about theatrical releases, but I would probably, most of us will be looking forward to streaming it because theaters aren't open right now. Yeah, and
1: buy it and support, guys. Yeah, help support them. Help support them. They're really cool, guys. Independent filmmakers need that. Mm -hmm. So buy it, help support. We love you guys. Thanks again. See you next week. Okay, bye! Bye!